All right. Well, hello, everyone. Um, super excited for another episode of Sour and Sass. We are joined by the CMO at Trainual, Jonathan Ronzio. Uh, thanks for being here, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, man. I, I kind of wish we could just keep that intro music flowing. That was a really grooving. That's such really a great, to be awesome. right? Yeah. No, it's awesome. Well, you know, for everybody listening, I had a great kind of chat with Jonathan getting ready for this interview. And what stood out to me is his pursuit of adventure and as well as kind of media and creativity. Um, now, just due to the timing, what I'd love to hear, Jonathan, is like, what's your take? Did you have a chance to see the new Ryan Reynolds ad? Did you take oh, a look yeah. at that? Yeah, yeah. What well, do you think about that? There were, there were two new that dropped in the last two yeah. days. I liked the one from from yesterday that was like the uh, more of the storied dating adventure. Yeah. Um, a little bit more like the one that t- today where they're just sitting on a couch kind of felt a little bit like what um, what was it? College humor did with the neighbors upsto- uh, upstairs or like what Progressive is doing. It felt a little more similar to things that you see out there. Whereas Ryan generally is like pretty unique in his delivery. Um, but nonetheless, it was funny, and and like I, I love everything that he puts out. I think paying attention to how, paying attention to how he is marketing is more important than what he's marketing. I, I could care less about match. Yeah, no, I love that. I, well, the thing too is like what I find interesting is, and maybe I, I would love to hear your perspective on this. Those ideas don't have to be limited to B two C, right? Like you're running a really great marketing for a great B two B company. What what do you think is keeping B two B marketing teams, especially in-house teams, from having some boldness around their creative messaging and their concepts and that, like, is it just the budget or is there more to it? What do you think is holding B2B companies back from doing that? I think it's just the DNA of the industry, right? Like, I, the, the as the years go on, like, there are today more B2B marketers talking about the necessity of, of acting like B2C and, and, like, building authenticity into your brand and, like, showing the people behind the, the company and, and doing more creative brand driven content than future benefits, uh, ROI driven content. And that'll continue to trend that way. Um, I just think it's, it's the nature of, of the beast of the DNA of the industry right now where we it, B2B is traditionally more, um, I don't know, it's just been more, more focused on, on driving sales through product differentiation or service differentiation rather than like connecting with a consumer they were trying to be like the the cheapest or the best or the whatever like would check that box in a procurement um you know plan right so i think it's it's evolving and it'll continue to do that but right now it's just there have to be people that are passionate about content and brand to continue to push that that edge yeah i mean it sounds like that's obviously something you're super passionate about so one of the things i'm curious is when you're folks right so you're let's say you're running a demand gen campaign and you've got this media campaign, right? So you're like, cool, I wanna do this thing to take market share and make more people aware of our training program and our software, but I also need to drive like free trial signups. How do you balance in your mind budget allocation? Do you think, you know, 10% goes to brand awareness, 50%, 0%, like, because it's interesting, right? When you think about advertising like that match.com and then you know, the B2B advertiser in the background, like, I wonder how many signups that got, right? Like, it's not really always the point. So, you know, what's your take on budget allocation and thinking about awareness versus, you know, trials? Yeah. I mean, I, I generally put about 25%, 20 to 25% towards awareness. Um, and, and that's, you know, awareness can break down in a lot of different ways, depending on what the channels for away, like, is it, is this month 
our, our awareness budget going to podcast sponsorships or is it going to an event sponsorship or is it going to this endorsement? And, you know, there are a lot of different ways that awareness can be built. Um, and then you have your like core repeatable, scalable channels that need to demand the, the majority of the budget. But at the same time, like you make the right move on the right awareness plan and it can drive the demand. Like for, for us, we did a, uh, we did a promo with like three of the cast members from the office and spliced them up into a video and, um, and, and tied the messaging in the script back to like needing training manuals and better employee yeah. training, right? Like we tied from the like comedy of, of like their characters, we tied the line back to the value prop of our product. And it was an awareness play because of the nature of who they are and the, the like cultural relevance of these people. Yeah. But at the same time, it also ended up driving like 2000 signups, right? So there is that connection. It's just sometimes not as simple as we want. And, you know, I see just cause we get to work with a lot of publicly traded software companies, privately held companies, big budgets. There's still this B2B idea that leads to diminishing marginal returns, which is like, we need more leads. And so everybody keeps spending more on Google ads, on Captera, on G2, on software advice. But then another new competitor comes, the auction price goes up, rates are, ha and prices having to go down, right? So what happens, is, which is crazy in this world, right? Is like competitors join, so they drive prices down and they advertise, which drives customer acquisition cost up. Oh. And so it's this like nasty effect. I'm all in on brand. So I love to hear that. Now I want to pull apart something you said a second ago, but <laughs> here we go. Are you ready? The, the fifth grader at the lunch table and me like being dared to eat a mouthful of warheads <laughs> is a little nervous. You should be nervous. Okay. The trick is you got to put it in your cheek. Okay. That's the, so you can talk still, but you might lose, like, you might need a root canal. So that's on you. I just want to make like, sure you know that. Go just like right underneath the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You let me know when you're ready. Okay. All right. Here goes nothing. So you had said podcasts. I love podcast ads. Mm -hmm. Not that many people like to do them. What's been your, what are some takeaways? And I'll share some of mine after, but like, what's been your experience? Oh, so, so sour. What's your, been your experience with podcast advertising? There's that pucker. Oh man, the orange pineapple. Yep. Um, experience with podcast advertising. So one, I'm extremely passionate about podcasts. Wow, it just makes me salivate. It's like hard to... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I launched a podcast the same time we launched Trainual called the Stokecast. That was like my passion project, the foot in the door of the adventure industry that I came out of to yeah. talk to athletes and outdoor entrepreneurs and, and adventurers. And I've kept that going. And so like podcasting has always been something that I've been passionate about as a storytelling medium and a way to connect with people and, and like a content pillar to create a lot out of and a way to nurture community. I've seen it work so well for me within the Stokecast community with the people that I've connected with the, you know, the engagement that's come from that, the listens, the download, everything. Yeah. So I knew very early on that podcasting would be a strategy inside of Trainual. both right when we launched one of the biggest things that we did to drive attention and awareness was getting on podcasts, like looking at where, who are the people podcasting about entrepreneurship and small business and reaching out to them and connecting and making sure that like, uh, you know, my brother, Chris, our CEO, or I could get onto a show that was before we started paid the earliest way that we built traction. Yeah. And then it was, 
you know, later towards the end of that year that we launched our own podcast called Process Makes Perfect, which ended up being a, like a, a process driven show uh, where Chris was interviewing. We now have five different podcasts of our own within the trainable brand. And as far as podcast sponsorships, um, you know, it's been hit or miss. We've done a lot. Like we've worked with uh, worked with Andrew Warner at Mixergy, um, and that's been a great great engagement. But we also sponsored like How I Built This and Planet Money and, and a package with NPR that is probably pretty good awareness. But we can't tie like direct ROI and attribution to in a really meaningful way. And what I've learned about the different plays that we've done within the podcast marketing space is owned community is best. Start your own. Your own community is the best. But beyond that, if you're sponsoring, build a real relationship with the podcast and the podcast host. Um, you know, it's like with with uh, Alex Judd when he was at Entree Leadership. Like we had a great relationship with with Entree Leadership. That was an ongoing, longer term thing, more of a rev share opportunity, uh, an affiliate thing that like they drove sales. Right. And um, and the traditional just like typical hands off, give them the, the ad script and write a check like they they're not invested in really helping you grow. They're invested in helping themselves pay the bills. Right. So that's how I look at podcast sponsorships now after we've tested a bunch of them is like real, real long term relationship and partnership versus just one off sponsor dollars. I like that. Now I want to still get deeper though. Right. So let's mm -hmm. talk about the type of podcast ad. Cause I think the way you do the ad is really important. So we tried a bunch of different ones. What worked for us was we would do it as a customer story. So we would have the host go like, let me tell you about a company called clear company, right? They were struggling to generate MQLs. Things were down, but then they hired directive and it, right. And it's like this whole story mm -hmm. format. And that worked really, really well for you. Like what's been your experience around like the type of ad format that really drives home that like that value? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that really the, gets people there. It's the same thing. It's a story and it's uh, often like the best way to do it is non-interruptive, right? If it's more conversational with the host and whoever their guest is, right? Like Andrew at Mixergy does this really, really well where he actually like he works his sponsors, not into a, a bit where he's like, now let's hear from our sponsor, right? And it's like a, even another person talking or him just kind of with a pre-recorded message. He, he asks his guest like, hey, what's your experience with, you know, in our case, like documenting your processes or like trying to train people and do it. Like, so um, working it into the, the conversational flow of the episode through, through even questions and pros and cons that the, the guest is here, is experiencing or has felt and then offering the like the storied solution has proven to be the absolute best because that's whether it's podcasts or anything else um it's yeah. absolutely like you you don't want to interrupt people where they are right and somebody who is like mowing their lawn or working out or running or driving the car if they're listening to a show like now you can just hit that button to like skip 30 seconds forward and skip the ad right and so if it feels like it's an ad people will skip it yep i love where you had that there and one of the hardest parts for me, obviously, like, because I love doing this, is always like, did it work? What are you guys doing on your end to see if, like, you're, because we talk about brand awareness, right? Podcast is in our form of brand awareness, just like running display and all those things kind of stink. You can try to use incrementality, you can try to use a lot of things. In your perspective, like, what's the best way to measure if the podcast is working? You know, because people have to do like visit us and put this code in, but like, 
people don't want to really use it that way. Is that the only option? Like, is there other ways to track and measure podcast ads? For a SaaS company, it's hard, harder than like if a CBD company, right? Like use this code and buy the CBD oil, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> the CBD ads, you see, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot harder for, for us. Um, what's, yeah. you know, ultimately what's worked better is just like having a custom landing page for, for a custom offer that's relevant for that community and that, you know, like we, we would do something like sponsoring a smart agency masterclass. And, and like with that show, we built like the agency onboarding playbook. And if you got to the trainual.com slash the, the, I forget what the URL was, but like you went there and then you, uh, if you signed up for your trial there, you get like preloaded this like template that they talked about on the show. And that's helped us kind of tie attribution is just looking at, you know, in GA and, and reporting like what, what accounts are being creative off of this sign up path. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me about storytelling is SaaS is like the most incestuous industry I've ever seen, right? Like somebody starts doing like characters on the homepage. Next thing you know, like every SaaS website has characters on the homepage, right? Like there's a billion examples like that. How, how do you like, and maybe it's not just you, like how should other marketing leaders in the SaaS community think about being bold? Like, Obviously, it sounds like you've got a pretty good relationship with the CEO, but um, how can other marketers try to like, I feel like SaaS is so afraid of legal. They're so afraid of like saying anything that anyone could have an opinion about and they end up being this like vanilla way for brand, right? So what what can they do so that storytelling, because I think it's huge, right? You see the big, this, all the SaaS stories, I think do a great job telling a story. I think you guys are doing a good job of it. Like, how can like they get an idea to get the three cast members from the office approved? Like what's like, how did you go about making that business case? What can people here learn from that? I mean, in that particular context, like we just, we just knew that like, what's going to stop somebody's uh, scroll, right? When you're, when you're like, everybody's attention is here, right? Yeah, yeah. That's where people spend their time these days. And how do you get somebody's attention? And somebody like going through their feed, they're not going to stop to like look at an ad, which feels like an ad, which looks like it has like this, like, you know, nice hex code background with like beautiful product images and like nice swipes and transitions like that. They know that that's marketing. And yeah. so early on, some of the, the things that we, we did was just like, you know, Chris and I would be filming on our phone, like Insta stories, walking down the street, talking, you know, selfie videos. And we like then run those as ads. And I'm just thinking like, this is, this feels like a friend in your feed, right? You're, you're like clicking through, you might be like, who is this guy? Did I, did I follow him? Do I know him? It's going to stop you for a second. Right. And as we went further down that path, we were like, what else can we put in front of somebody that feels like it's relevant for their world or feel, you know, feels like it's someone they want to pay attention to. And that's where we just understood like that went deep into like consumer persona investigation of what what a small business owners doing? What do they care about? What are they watching? Where, where are they spending their time when they disconnect from work, when they can disconnect from work? And then we just kind of built the, the content and the initiatives from there to try to connect authentically with the people that we wanted to in a way that, um, I don't know, felt, felt different. I guess like the, fortunately I came from a background of non-typical SaaS marketing. And, uh, and so I, I didn't have a benchmark of like, best practices to go off of i my my I lack of my, going up, right like, what was that 
what's killing everyone though is this idea of best practice, right? We all copy each other and yeah. then we wonder why it doesn't work for us. It's like, cause it already worked. It stopped working. And that's why they wrote the case study. Right? Exactly. <laughs> they yeah. only told you to do it once it stopped once working, it stopped working for them. Exactly. The best, <laughs> as soon as it's a best practice, it's outdated. Right. So yeah, totally. And I, and I, I think my lack of knowledge early on about this industry actually was a benefit. It was like, I had knowledge about marketing and content and media and like how to create, but not about how to play in the like HR tech, you know, and B2B landscape. And that was a benefit to us. I love that. Now you were talking a little bit about like UGC and I think that's really cool. So like user generated content, that authentic type content, is there a way that you're creating scale from that or that you recommend? Like what's a good way for people to get started, right? People can see Dave Gerhart, right? Love to talk on his phone, do that whole thing. Like a lot of people have done that. Is there something that you've got this background in media? So I, and you, as a creator and kind of in production and film, and is there a way that we can do a better job as SaaS marketers getting our customer stories in front? Like, are you doing customer video testimonials mm -hmm. or how are you like, you know, like how are you getting, like I'm of this belief that there's an authenticity and rawness when you hear someone's voice or when you see their expression that makes that like, you know, when you talk about attention, when I scroll through a page and I see someone's quote of how they love directive, I don't think it hits the same as if you heard them say it mm -hmm. or if you watch them say it. So like, how can we get you like user generated content from our customers into our marketing? You know, is there any way you've been doing that or any ideas? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we've done this since the beginning, but I had a big initiative this fall. So um, it, between September and November, like early September, I sent out uh, an email to probably like 200 of our just like top customers based on a few metrics in, in like in-app activity and health score and things like that. Yeah. And just gave them a, a link to my calendar. And I had like made a specific calendar link that blocked out a couple different you know, blocks of time over the course of two months and just told them to book time with me to share their story. And so I personally talked to like over 30 of our customers over the course of two months and unpacked those stories and just like built those connections. And then we had those, we had those zoom videos that now, um, you know, have been transcribed and written out into, uh, articles for our blog that we use like, you know, quotes from that for different content. Uh, we have the videos that got chopped up into like te video testimonials. Um, uh, standalone as well as like taking clips of them to create montages. Um, we run those as ads, right? So like even one, one of our like lookalike, you know, audience campaigns literally just has an engagement campaign that's based on showing seven different great video testimonials. And then we put budget behind that. And then we build an audience based off of who watches 75% or 95% of those videos. And then they go into learning a little bit more about Trainual. So yeah. there's a million ways that we use our customer words. Like I remember early on in the business, um, I, I looked at like our G2 and Captera and Facebook and anywhere that we had been receiving reviews and yep. just copied them all onto a Google doc. I printed them out. I, I laid out every single paper on my, the floor of my office and sat there with a highlighter and just literally like just highlighted everything that was a commonality based on what people were saying. And then rewrote our entire like website copy based on those headlines and in, instantly traffic to trial conversion went up. Dude, that's so good. Okay. I'm going to expand on this in a second. We're moving on. One. Are you ready? Is this, uh, are you going warhead still? Are we moving into? Oh, no, no, no. We're in the big leagues, baby. All right. 
Toxic waste. No, no. <laughs> Ryan, give me toxic waste. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> for, for everybody watching, I I was like here getting ready for the show and opening the packages of what they sent me. I was like, holy crap, what are we doing here? Thinking that it was gonna be 50 of these things. Hold on, I almost dropped it. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready for toxic waste. Here goes nothing. Here we go. So I want to bounce an idea off you live yeah. and let's see what you think. Okay. So you're a little bit of like self-service SaaS. So I don't know. Do you guys have a sales team at Trainual? Like SDR? Yeah. Okay. So still growing that part. You guys are seems more self-service digital. Like way, that. More, that. way more self-service yeah. DIY. Okay. So a lot of where SaaS is going right now is, yeah, that one's, yeah, is – Land and expand, right? Land a client and then grow their seats, right? A lot of self-service is the same way. You talked about in-app activity. So I had this idea of taking like your heap, your pendo, your mixed panel, building up a bi-directional sync into your SQL database and pushing that back into Facebook or Google ads mm -hmm. and running expansion campaigns. Have you ever thought about or tested it? Because I haven't met anyone who's talked about this. So this idea I have for our clients is – like if you took all that in-app data, built that into an audience and then ported that back into Facebook to then try to use advertising to expand existing customers, we're going to have a better gross margin and cash flow from getting them to grow with your account because you don't have that initial acquisition costs. What's your take on that? Have you guys tried anything like that? Do you think it could work? Yeah, we have we have done that and it does work. Okay, um, okay there we go. And it works. Yeah. So we, we have uh, in, in our product, we've just, you know, our team has hard coded like certain uh, pixels from Facebook under certain events to know, like, you know, we have, we have campaigns on, on Facebook and Instagram for people that are in a trial. They've, they've like fired the trial pixel. Now they're in a trial. And now we show them a few things based on some engagement metrics, whether they need to like add users or whether they need to publish content based on that path that they've selected early on. What were their goals for getting into the, the are they, are they onboarding? Are they building their playbook? Are they, trying to open a new location. And, and we've built that data into certain events that fire and inform certain strategies of what content goes in front of them to help nurture them in that in-trial experience to get them to the point of opting in to become a paid customer. Honestly, we haven't uh, done too much beyond. We haven't done yeah. too much beyond as far as, uh, like absolutely possible, and I think it would work. And I'll, I'll probably talk to my team about that tomorrow. But. Um, <laughs> But, but I, I uh, based on what we've done with that exact, you know, framework for in trial uh, yeah. targeting based on like product sending messages to our ad channels. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, you, you, you know, like what needs to happen to grow net retention revenue and to grow accounts. And, you know, fortunately for us, there's our, our accounts grow when, when the businesses that are using it grow, right? You're adding more users and, and that's great. And so we want to support like growing small businesses, but there are also certain things that you can do with like feature add-ons and going from pro to premium or whatever, right? And monthly yeah. to annual and incentivizing those different actions. And I think, um, you know, retargeting. Yeah, like acquisition, a little bit on activation, but I've never heard people talk about expansion. And mm -hmm. so this concept I've been playing with. So I love to hear that you're seeing some stuff with it. That's great. Now, yeah. The other thing I was curious about, um, podcasting, it's such a crowded space, right? So if someone from software is listening and they're like, you know, I like what he's saying, like, we know media is important. How do you start to make the budget 
well, I guess there's two points to the question. Number one, how do people get a better budget for creative so that they can actually start like doing it in-house? Because see, that's your background, right? But if you have a traditional SaaS CMO, their background's not creative, right? So they rely on agencies or they don't have anyone internally. So one, how do we get more budget to do better creative? And then number two, what kind of things do you see not working in 2021? Like, would you recommend other SaaS companies to start a podcast? Would you not? Like, what are you seeing in the media space that's not working? And then how do we get more budget to do the things that are? Okay. On the, the podcast front, I still believe podcasting is an opportunity. Yes. I think that it's, it's of course gotten more crowded, but if you're really hyper-focused with who you're trying to go after, um, you know, niche podcasts are, are working, right? You might, you might not build the podcast that has the half million or the million followers and become yeah. top 10, you know, chart and competes with like Gary and Tim or anything like that. Right. But, um, if, if you have a little bit higher value product or service and you use podcasting as a way to get your, your foot in the door and build a relationship with the people that you want to either build a product integration with, or you want to eventually become a customer, like that's podcasting one fuels your content strategy when you use it as yeah. that pillar place. And it also fuels your network. Yeah. Man, this is like a, a second <laughs> punch of sour. It was like, it got all right. And as soon as I bit into that a little explosion. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Um, as far as getting like sign off on budget for additional creative. Yeah. I, you got to test creative, right? It's the same way. Like think back to, to like being a, a solopreneur and in order to get your first few clients, you might have to do some free work, right? Yeah. You have, you have to yeah. like show that you can do it to get the proof to then yeah. sell it. Right. And, and once you have some of that proof and you have those early stories and testimonials and you're able to show the work with some proof and go like, then you can get buy-in then people believe in it. I, I think back to like my early uh, adventures and expeditions and I was trying to get sponsors and, uh, and it wasn't until like I had, you know, one sponsor that bit on just like giving me some free snack bars or something. And then I could level that up and like market that to somebody else to get them to give me something bigger because another brand bought, right. Nobody wants to be uh, like, people are innately risk averse. It takes, uh, there's a small portion of us that are crazy enough to just take big risks. And um, generally your, your finance manager or a lot of CEOs or CMOs or CFOs are not those crazy risk averse people when it comes yeah. to the budget. Right. But, yeah. um, but if you think about things like that, like go, go and like test a few things and prove a few things on your, like maybe it's even on your own personal brand channel and you just have an idea and you want to scratch that itch and you want to do a few things on your own and then go back and be like, Hey, this is working here for me. It could work even more here if we had a little bit of budget and don't you want to like bring this audience to us. Right. So like a test campaign, little, maybe pilot project, right? Like, Hey, yeah. I'm not. I know we got this 100K annual budget. I'd like to use five of it to try to film this one video. I've got a buddy from college. He's pretty cheap, but I want to see if this could work and I want to run an ad campaign. So maybe get some social proof, use a small amount, and then see if you can't grow it from there. Is that kind of what you're saying? Totally. Yeah. I, I think, like, don't, don't be afraid to test things. I mean, and that's not on the decision maker level, that's on an employee level too. Like, you don't always need permission to test things. It's like it shows initiative and I'd be psyched if if like my team came to me next week with like five different like cool little videos and th campaigns that they created that they like think would move the needle in 2021 and, and they're like trying to get buy in on. Like if you if you want to if you believe in something, I'm all for it. Let's give it a go. 
I love that. So now one of the hard parts I found of that is if you make the KPI, they have to move the needle on trial signups. It's sometimes hard to then get the creative, that top of funnel, that ad campaign improved because it's more around brand affinity. Maybe it's around impressions. Maybe it's about capturing attention. What's your KPI for top of funnel? Are we doing another one? All right, man, we're doing it. I'm, I'm, out, of, I'm out of sour. I need another. Sour. Let's go. All right. Okay. What's, what's so, my, repeat that. Sorry. What's my KPI for what? Bottom of funnel KPI, right? It's obviously people signing up, right? And then obviously when they're activating, things like that. But top of funnel, when you're trying, like your team comes to you with five ideas and they say, hey, Jonathan, I think we could do this because it could really help us get more of what? What are we trying to do on that top of funnel that we feel is realistic for that idea? Or are we still hoping top of funnel is measured by its success by trials? And we just use that. Like, what's your take on that? No, I think top of funnel can be audience and traffic, right? Like, so yeah. So if, if I'm looking at creative, like you could come up with some kind of creative campaign to run on TikTok, and and you know that might be not where we like put a lot of our attention and effort and budget, but if if we start to like see, and yeah, this lemon one just getting to me. So if, we start, if we start to see uh, some audience growth or some like decent traffic driven at a, a good cost then that's a success to me. And then they go into like, I'm my paid philosophy is you should be remarketing everywhere. So like while, while you might spend most of your time and energy uh, putting budget behind Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn or Google, um, like we've got remark baseline, like little spend remarketing campaigns happening on TikTok, on Snap, on Quora, on Twitter, on Reddit, like everywhere because like that flywheel of awareness, right? Like somebody comes to your app, you don't know where else they spend their time. You want to be there. You want to be in front of them wherever they are. And so, I like so I think, I think top of the funnel, it's it's audience, attention, traffic, and then it gets into trial, activation, lead qualification. Then, then you get into like customer retention, advocacy, referrals. That's amazing. No, I love it. And so one of the things that, you know, a lot of people struggle with on Facebook and as we wrap up here is targeting. So how are you kind of getting around targeting now that a lot of that B2B data is gone? Do you have any tricks of the trade that you're using on Facebook to stay in front of small business owners with relevant messaging, whether by industry, by title, by location? Like how are you trying to stay relevant on Facebook with less data available these days? Yeah, I mean, we, we still have like the the pixels in the app that fuel the data for, uh, for new trials, for new customer opt-ins, right? So it's like we might be... We might be uh, doing a campaign that's targeted to a one percent like U.S. lookalike audience uh, of our customer opt-ins, right? Like the audience is being created off of people that actually put in credit cards, but the campaign optimization, like the conversion event, is to get people to trigger the trial event, right? And those work together to continuously optimize, and then on like layered underneath that, that's like baseline. Layered underneath that, then you start to like peel away at interest-based targeting. I think like if you're just starting out with these channels. You start with interest targeting because you need to like just get in front of people. And, they, and for small business owners, it might be that they they, they like Robert Kiyosaki and Michael Gerber and uh, and Tim Ferriss and and yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk and then and, and they watch Shark Tank. Right. And then uh, <laughs> and then once you like get people to your site and actually like fuel that like lookalike trial audience, then you can start to target that instead and that fuels a smarter campaign and then you get even smarter when you build enough of a lookalike audience that you can then narrow with interests and demographics and all the lookalike then tighten it up yeah 
I love it. Okay, that is amazing insights for everybody listening. Jonathan, for people who want to maybe listen to your podcast, anything like that, any like uh, links you want to drop, any shout outs? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're interested, check out Trainual for sure, trainual.com. If you want to like connect with me and talk anything about mountains, marketing, music, whatever, uh, at Jonathan Ronzio on any channel. And um, and that, yeah, it's fun. Let's let's continue the conversation. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on Sour and Sass, and what a great interview. Thanks, Jonathan. This was cool, man. Thank you. All right. Hello.